Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The title for today is The Parable of the Tenants. Parable of the Tenants, Mark 12, 1-2. But I'm going to tell an interesting story first. I got an email from Ron. I'm not going to say his last name, but most of you know him. He used to come here and he's moved. And he's been keeping in touch. Found a really good church where they live now. But Ron, I'm not going to say it because it's going to be on podcast. And I want to be looking him up on Facebook or something. Although he doesn't use it. But anyway, Ron, said he, he wrote me an email. And then he said, P.S. Funny story about getting old. If you know, Rod, this is extra funny. We had some new friends from church over for dinner one evening. As the evening progressed, my age began to show through, and it was getting beyond my bedtime. Without really thinking, I turned to to Linda and said, Well, it's about time we get going. (laughs) Linda, of course, incredulously said, We are at home. After that, we all laughed, and our guests politely said they would get going home. (laughs) Point of story, you can use your dementia to help get your point across in a polite way. (laughs) Oh, I laughed so hard. I I emailed him and said, Ron, I'm going to share that at church. He didn't respond, so I didn't wait for permission. But anyway... uh, that's so funny. So the story today is, is, is about a group of people, which is kind of opposite, though. The opposite here is it's not funny, the story that we're going to look at today. And also, these guys were someplace that they thought they owned some place, and they didn't. It's just the opposite of what happened with Ron. They were somewhere, and they thought they owned it, but they really didn't own it. We've been looking at Mark 11 and 12. And we're working through this part where Jesus is fighting the religious leaders, part two. He already went through the battle with them earlier in Mark. Now this is part two. And it's really a boxing match. Think Rocky, right? You know, the, you know, the creed, you know, the new box, the boxing match here. Round one went to Jesus. We already saw round one. They tried to trap Jesus by questioning him about his authority. They really threw a sucker punch. But he, got, he, he avoided it. He sidestepped the punch. Remember we talked about that? Once again, get the CD podcast. He sidesteps the punch. He trapped them with a question about John the Baptist and his authority. So he turned the tables on them. Wild story. And now we'll see how he follows that sidestep with a counterpunch. Just in boxing, you sidestep the punch. You come back with a counterpunch. Uh, he counterpunches them with a parable which will hit them, really hit them where it hurts. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the worship. We thank you for this Christmas communion. We pray that your Holy Spirit would speak through your word now and touch each one of us in our hearts and in our life in the way that you want to touch us. We pray that through your mercy and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's pick up the verses. and We'll read the passage first of all. Mark chapter 12, verse 1. He then began to teach them in the parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat, others they killed. He had one one left to send, a son whom he loved. 
He sent him last of all, saying, They will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read the scripture? The scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this and is marvelous in our eyes. Then they looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken this parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. Woo! We could really call this not the parable of the tenants, but the parable of the wicked tenants. That would be a better description of it, wouldn't it? And... The religious leaders had just refused to answer a question, we saw that last week, regarding John's and Jesus' authority. All right? So Jesus goes right for the vitals in the boxing match here. He goes right into this parable to go after these guys. They wouldn't, they wouldn't, answer, they wouldn't acknowledge Jesus' authority or John's authority. And so he goes after them to show them that they really know who he is. They really know who Jesus was. They really know that he's the, the divine Messiah. The real issue he brings out in this parable is they don't want to accept him or submit to God. They don't want to accept him or submit to God. That's the real issue. Verse 1, we'll pick it up here in verse 1 again, where he says, He then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. This is a clear reference to Isaiah 5, 1 to 7. Let me read that to you. Clear reference. They knew it. They connected the dots right away. Verse, five, uh, verse 1 of Isaiah 5. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall, and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are the garden of his delights. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress." Clear reference. The religious leaders knew exactly what he was saying. They knew the scripture. They connected the dot that the vineyard was Israel. They also knew that he was talking specifically about them. Back in Mark chapter 12, verse 12, they knew specifically, read that again. Then they looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken this parable against them. They knew very clearly they, that they were the wicked, murderous tenants. And you know why they knew it? Because they were. <laughs> That's exactly what they were trying to do to Jesus. They already put a hit out on Jesus. That's exactly what they were planning to do to Jesus, the Son. Exactly. And then we see in verses uh, 2 to 5, we'll read that part. 
Who is he talking about here? Verse 2, At harvest time he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others, some of them they beat, and others they killed. Who's getting beat up? Who's getting attacked here? Prophets, exactly. These are the prophets. God had sent his prophets to warn them. He had sent them to look for fruit, but instead of finding fruit, they were attacked. They had warned kings and priests and the people over and over again, but they were lucky to escape with their lives many, many times. You see, in a, in a time of spiritual apostasy, apostasy means a time of falling away. In a time of spiritual apostasy, speaking the truth becomes a radical and dangerous act. Are we seeing that today? But that's exactly what we're called to do. In times of apostasy, speaking the truth is a dangerous and radical act. But that's exactly what we are called to do. In fact, Luke 6.26 warns us, warns us that that's what we're called to do, and we better be doing it. In Luke 6.26 he says, Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is it how their fathers treated the false prophets. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how the, their fathers treated the false prophets. That's a warning for pastors, isn't it? If everything I say is good with everybody in this culture, that's, I'm not preaching the truth. And that's a warning for all of us that we have to speak the truth in love. Very, very important that we speak the truth in love. It's a warning for all of us. Then we'll back to Mark chapter 12. We'll pick it up with verse 6. Prophets get beat up. He had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, They will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. He sends his son whom he loved. The word in Greek is agapetas. Thought you know agape, agapetas, the one he loved. The word means love, but it also has the force of only. It has the force of only. He was deeply loved because he was the only son. That's the force of the Greek word. John 3.16 is very similar in a way. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's a different word there, one and only. It's a different word. It's the word for begotten, but it still has the same force of one and only. That's why it, the NIV translated it the one and only, the only begotten, the one and only son. That's the idea behind it. But it's interesting here in John 3.16, it's a little different because he sends his one and only son whom he loved. We saw that in Mark 12. Why does he send him? Because he loves us. He sends the son he loves. You put the two verses together. He sends, he sends his beloved son, his one and only loved son, because he loves us. That's why Jesus was born at Christmas. That's why he gave his son up to ultimately die on a cross. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Back to Mark 12 there. Jesus Christ is God's one and only son. You put the verses together. He's the one and only son. 
Some might remember an imperial, there's a lot of talk today, well, God had many sons and it doesn't matter who we follow and, and it doesn't matter. Well, that's not, what, that's not what Jesus said and it's not what the Bible said. Some of you might remember a song by the imperials, O Buddha. I'm going to try to sing it. Sing it with me if you can help me. Remember this? <laughs> I always fear doing this. <clears throat> Here I go. No, it won't. Be old Buddha that's sitting on the throne, and it won't be old Muhammad that's calling us home, and it won't be Hare Krishna that plays that trumpet tune, cause we're going to see the sun, not Reverend Moon. Yeah. <laughs> Who remembers that song? Who remembers that? Yeah, it was real popular years ago, the Imperials. Oh, I love the Imperials. But that's, there's a lot of truth to that. That he's the one and only son. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's the only way. There's only one son. And there's only one way. Faith in that son. Faith in Jesus Christ. Putting our trust in Jesus Christ. That's the only way. Back to verses 6 to 8 where he says, They will respect my son. They will respect my son. This is one last attempt to get through to them. One last chance. God, Jesus Christ is God's, understand this, Jesus is God's last word to the human race. Jesus is the last word to the human race. The last word, John 1.14. The word became flesh. And made his dwelling among us. John 1.14. The word. Do you, you have that one? Sorry about that. I want, I want you to see this. Oh, here we go. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father. Full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ is God's last word to the human race. The one and only son who has been sent. The last word. And it's also a test. He's not only the last word, but this is also a test. It's a sun test. This is the final test for the human race. So many people claim to love God. You talk to everybody. You stop most people in the street. There's atheists, and they're getting more, more and more atheists. But unless they're in a foxhole, then it's a different story, right? Those of you who know, have been in war know what I'm talking about. But, uh, there's, but the, most people would say, the average person in America would say, I, I love God. And they would think they're following God in their way, in their own whatever buffet religion they've created. They're following God. But the test is this. The test is, have we accepted his son, Jesus? That's the test. If we have not accepted and received his son, God's son, then we don't know the one true God, then we're not following the one true God. It doesn't matter how sincere we are and, and how well we've developed our new religious system and what kind of God we've created in our mind. If we have not put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are not following and we don't know the one true God. And these religious leaders here, these tenets, which were the religious leaders, had showed their real color. How? They said, let's kill the son. That's exactly what they did. Crucified him on the cross. They failed the sun test. They failed the sun test. They showed that they didn't really love God. They didn't really know the one true God. In John 15, this is a really 
powerful verse here in John 15, a couple verses. In John 15, verse 18, listen to what it says. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. This is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. Verse 21, now memorize this verse. Keep it in front of you at all times now. They will treat you this way because of my name. Why? For they do not know the one who sent me. They don't know the one who sent me. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If someone persecutes us because of our faith in Jesus Christ, they do not know the one true God. The Bible can't be any more clear. Jesus cannot be any more clear on this. Obviously, he's talking about these these religious leaders, these Jewish religious leaders, not all, many of the Pharisees followed Jesus. Many Jewish people followed Jesus. All his disciples were, were, were Jews. But these religious leaders had rejected him. They thought they knew the one true God. But they didn't. The Jewish religious leaders of this time did not know or follow God. Jesus made it clear, and their actions did. But this doesn't just include these religious leaders of this time. All throughout history, we've seen religious leaders, even so-called Christian religious leaders do the same thing, haven't we? Just because someone calls himself Christian or has some kind of Christian name doesn't mean they are. Throughout history, you can see that many that are, were supposed to be Christian persecuting true Christians. The Inquisition shows what I'm talking about. Some people think, well, the Inquisition was, happened, was in Spain and it happened over a couple of years and, and it was just kind of things got out of control. Listen, the Inquisition was over hundreds of years over all of the Western Christendom. Hundreds, four or five hundred years, it, 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 never, it just kept going. Millions were killed. For what? For following, put, putting their trust in Jesus Christ instead of a religious system. That's why they were killed. So what does that say about all the people that drove the Inquisition? They did not know or follow God. Connect the dots. And it goes the same today in the world today. We see what's happening with the Muslims, wiping out whole Christian communities all over the Middle East, and now it's coming here. It goes the same thing. But let me, let me say something. This is the dot I want to connect. It's well known what's going on. We do not worship the same God. I don't care what popes and presidents say. I'm going to say that again. I don't care what popes and presidents say. We do not worship the same God. How do we know? Because of what Jesus said. What his word says. And the proof is right here what Jesus said. Muslims reject Jesus Christ as the Son of God, clearly, and they persecute Christians, clearly. It's in the Quran. Sorry. I know there's moderate Muslims, and I have good friends who are Muslims, and, and I, I know they're caught, and many of them are caught in between the, 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 the more fanatical ones, and I feel sorry for them. There's many, many lovely Muslim people. But the Quran teaches this. And there's no way, 
Because of that, because they reject Jesus as the Son of God, all Muslims reject that. And because they per- many persecute Christians, Jesus says they don't know the one true God. We do not worship the same God. It's impossible. And if you need more proof, sit down with the Quran and sit down with the Bible and read them side by side. And if you're telling me the same God inspired both of those books, you'd have to say God's schizophrenic because there's no possible way. And I don't say that to rub it in. I'm not trying to be mean about it. We've got to speak the truth in love. And when popes and presidents make these deceptive, delusional statements, we have to know better. Because we can't reach our Muslim friends for Jesus Christ unless we understand this. That we have to bring them to the one true God. If we really love them, we'll speak the truth in love to them. And we'll bring them to the one true God through his son, Jesus Christ. That's the only way. So we have this John 15, verse 21. They will treat you this way because of my name. It's not just the Muslims. The whole cult, the USA today, we live in a culture, right? There's widespread hostility to Jesus Christ and Muslims in our culture today. Look at what the media, how the media treats Christianity and Christians, right? And the culture itself. Why? They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. They don't know the one true God. That's the proof of it. And we see God's response in verses 9 through 12, back to Mark chapter, Mark chapter 12, verses 9 to 12. We see God's response here. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill these tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this in the scriptures? The stone the builder rejected, as builders rejected, has become the capstone. The Lord has done this and is marvelous in our eyes. That, that's, that God's response, Jesus connects the dots there. In verse 12, they say, then they looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken this parable against them. He had connected the dots. The religious leaders have rejected God for the last time. Jesus tells us in this parable, they've rejected him for the last time. Judgment is coming, and it's exactly what happened. 70 AD, Jerusalem was destroyed. They are wiped out. The rejected stone becomes the foundational stone of the church of Jesus Christ. We talked about this passage when we did the triumphal entry a few weeks ago, and I'm not going to go back into it, but, the, but this, we, we went into detail about this, this passage, this messianic passage. And this church will include Jews and Gentiles, all who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, Jews and Gentiles, and people coming from all walks and backgrounds, just like the ministry that we're doing, that missions thing that we're doing, from Muslim backgrounds. We heard a speaker last week, the many, many Muslims coming to Jesus Christ. They're realizing who he really is, and they're finding the one true God. The, the, the church of Jesus Christ has included Jews, Gentiles, people from all different backgrounds who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. And this freaks out the religious leaders. Why? Because they had the power and the prestige. They don't want to share their power and prestige. And that freaks them out. But what was the real issue? I shot this out on the email. What was the real issue here? The real issue is they didn't want God to tell them what to do. Right? They didn't want to submit to God. That's why they killed the son. That's why they don't know the one true God. They didn't want to submit to God. They didn't want God to tell them what to do. Sound familiar? (laughs) Romans 10. In Romans 10, 
Paul brings this out where he says in verses 1 to 4, he says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God. How could he testify that, Paul? This is Paul writing. Well, he was zealous, right? He killed Christians, and he's been stoned about 80 times by now, right? But their zeal is not based on knowledge. Now, get this. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. They wouldn't submit to Christ being the end of the law, so there'd be righteousness for everyone who believes. They wouldn't submit. That's the real problem. And isn't it the same today? Why don't people accept Jesus Christ? Really, it's a submission problem. They don't want to submit. Because if Jesus Christ is who he said he is, then we have to submit to him. We have to surrender our life. We have to let God change us. And many times we'd rather hang on to what we think is fun, even though it's destroying us. We hang on to that because we're under this delusion. It's like being on drugs. You know, it's delusional. We think it's great. We feel so good, but it's killing us. And that's what sin does. Sin is the same picture. We hang on to it. We think it's great. We don't want to give it up, but it's killing us. We... And so we say, because we don't want to submit to God, we don't want to let him change our life, we don't want to give up anything in our life that we think is so great, even though it's killing us. So, we, so people say, I don't believe. I don't believe it. What are they really saying 99.9% of the time? I don't want to change. Think of your life before you came to Christ. What were we really saying? I don't want to change. I don't want to surrender to the Son. There can't be any more proof of who Jesus is. He rose from the dead. It's a historical fact. His worst enemies didn't deny it. There's all the proof in the world. It's an issue of surrender. Have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? Have you given your life to Jesus Christ. Have you put your faith in him? I know some of you are seeking and that's awesome. It takes time. We get to know Jesus and get to know his word. And, but, but sometimes we reach that place of decision. We already know who he was. Who he is. What he did for us. He died on the cross for us. He was God's son who died on the cross for us to pay for our sin. He rose from the dead so that we could live a brand new life. We already know it. And there comes a time where we have to make that decision. Will I accept Jesus? Will I receive him as my Savior? John 1.12 says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Have you received him? How? By believing in his name. Have you taken that step of faith and given your life to Jesus and put your faith in him and trust in him? And then as Christians, after we take that step, there's still, salvation is just the first step. Then there's submission and surrender, which is a lifelong process, right? 
It's a lifelong process. Will we submit to God's plan for our life? God has a plan for our life. Will we submit to it? Will we accept that? Will we continually seek God's will for our life through his word, through prayer, through godly advice? Will we continually seek that will for our life? Will we daily surrender? This is what's hard, right? Most of us know what God's will is. It's pretty clear here. Will we surrender even when it goes against our flesh, our desires, Put it differently, our sinful flesh, our sinful desires. Will we surrender? See, every day we have to make a choice. Will we deny or gratify? Will we deny that sinful flesh, that our, our own desires, or will we gratify that? Every day we're going to have to make the decision. What we watch on TV? Okay, where am I gonna, what, what channel am I going to click on? You know, is it going to be to deny or to gratify? Looking on the computer, okay, what am I going to do? Am I going to deny or gratify? Going to a, par- a lot of Christmas parties coming up. A lot of you younger people have parties every weekend. Am I going to go to this party or not? What am I going to do at that party? Am I going to gratify or am I going to deny? What am I going to do? And it's everything we do, everything we think, everything we say. What am I going to do in this situation? Deny or gratify the flesh. And it comes down to faith. It comes down to trust that God's way is the best. Not my way or the world's way. The world tells us a whole different thing and our flesh is telling us something. But yet God's word is like diametrically opposed. And wait, God's saying this, but my flesh is saying something else and the world is saying, going along with that. What, should I, what am I going to do? Do I trust God? Do I trust him? Will I live by faith that his way is really best? And guess what? It is. But we don't realize it until after we take the step of faith. It's after we fight that spiritual battle and we take that step of faith. And after it all happens and the smoke clears, we're like, wow, this way really is better. I'm a lot happier than I was when I used to give in. When I used to gratify, I'm a lot happier denying because Jesus' way is better. But it takes that step of faith to get to the other side and realize it. It comes down to faith. And, and we have to remember, we're just tenants. Our life, we are just tenants. Our lives are here on loan to us. On loan. 1 Corinthians 6, 18. This is going to bring us right into communion. Verse, six, verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you received from God? You are bought at a, I'm sorry, you are not your own. Here it is. You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. That's what communion is all about. It's a reminder that we have been bought at a price. The blood and body of Jesus Christ. And after we put our faith in God, we become a temple of the Holy Spirit. And we're not our own anymore. We're living to glorify God. To live holy lives in every area of our life. And communion is all about remembering that. Remembering that. Remembering Romans 10.4. Christ is the 
end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. He's the end of the law. The word end there in the Greek means completion, goal. When he died on the cross, he paid for our sins that broke his holy law, that completed the law. And, and the resurrection power makes it possible for us to live holy lives. That's the goal of the law. That's why he's the end of the law. That's the, the goal of it. And when we take the bread and we drink the grape juice here, we're remembering the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's a reminder to live these holy lives that he's called us to live. Christmas communion is extra special because it reminds us the whole point of Jesus being born in that stable was to die for us. And now as we go to communion, the way we do it is we just have some worship music playing. And when you're ready, just come forward and you can take the, the bread and, and the cup and back to your seat. You can take it alone. You can take it with your family or with a friend, you could, there's no right or wrong way to take communion. It's between you and God. However you choose to, to take this communion, the key is re recognizing the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. There's only two reasons why we shouldn't take it. One is we're not ready to surrender our life to Jesus Christ. If you're not a Christian yet and you're not ready to, to take that step today, it's okay. Don't take it. Just wait next time. We do it every month, so wait for the next time. But maybe today's the day that you will put your faith in Christ. And then you can commune. Not just, communion is just a reminder that we can commune with him anytime. Once we put our faith in Jesus and we become a child of God, we can come to God the Father anytime through his son Jesus Christ and talk, commune with him anytime. This is just a reminder of that. Also, another reason the Bible says is don't take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy way. If there's sin in our life that we will not surrender. Notice I didn't say sin in our life because none of us could come up and take it, Right? But if there's something we won't surrender, that we won't say, God, you can have this part of my life. It's a battle. It's going to be a struggle. But I, I'm, I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm repenting and I'm giving it to you and asking you to help me by your mercy and grace fight this battle. But if we're not willing, if we say, no, God, everything but this, nine commandments, okay, but the tenth, uh-uh, then don't take it. Wait. But I hope everybody here does Open our hands and surrender. Let's pray. As we go to this time of prayer, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? Maybe you're here today and you're seeking, spiritually seeking. And that's awesome. I hope you keep on coming. But maybe today is the day the Holy Spirit is calling you to take that final step of the seeking and to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. To put your faith in Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him. Have you ever put your faith in Jesus? Believe and receive. Right where you're sitting, you can do that today. Just say, God, I believe Jesus was your son. Who died on the cross for me. For my sin. For my breaking the law. 
your law, God. I know you did that because you love me. And I'm putting my faith in Jesus. I'm giving my life to you, God. If you've prayed that prayer, you have just become a child of God. And you can commune with God as your Father any time. Starting with communion today. But I want to encourage you to let somebody know if you've prayed that prayer and taken the step of faith because we'll be excited for you, but we'll also help you grow in your new faith. We'll encourage you. So let somebody know. Maybe you have a friend or family member here. Fill out the card in the bulletin, stick it in the box. Text me, call me, tell me on the way out. Let somebody know that you've taken this step so we can encourage you. And for those of us who already put our faith in Christ, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? What part of our life do we need to surrender? How is he speaking to us about surrender today as we go to this communion time? Father, we thank you for this Christmas communion. We thank you for sending your son to be born on Christmas so that he could die on a cross for us. and rise to life to give us new power, the power to really live for you. We pray that your Holy Spirit would fill us in a special way as we celebrate this communion time. You would speak to us about surrender and submission so that we could live through the power of your Spirit a really blessed life with real peace and real joy, a life of faith. We pray it in Jesus' name.